You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Jonathan Herbert. Jonathan, thanks so much for being with me today. Absolute pleasure, Brainerd. I was looking forward to it ever since we decided to do this. Jonathan, let's talk about your work and, and begin with New York. I know you're a, a native New Yorker, and that's where you're your practice really started in earnest, right? That was New York in, uh, was it the 80s? Honestly, my life as an artist started in 1954 in a, in a stroller at the Museum of Modern Art when I fell in love with that Pavel Chelichu drawing of all the babies attached to the tree or whatever it is. And uh, my parents were, uh, we they quickly moved me, we moved from, I was born in Manhattan. I spent my first couple of years in Jackson Heights, and then they moved me to uh, Long Island. I spent the rest of my time there trying to escape. But they were really great collectors of art. They bought art from directly from painters from where all over the place. And my uncle Sasha Moldovan was. Uh, in Paris in, in the 20s, and he showed with uh, Dufy and Dubuffet and was buddies with Soutine and Chagall. So we have an arty family. There was no visible wall on our walls. Paintings were, looked like a, like a, a salon, the French salon. And uh, we had, literally, the whole house was furnished with George Nakashima's incredible work. I remember as a a young kid in single digits going out to Bucks County to uh, whatever that Hope Junction, whatever it is out there, and uh, playing with his son while my parents went through the wood piles, picking the wood for different furniture. So that's what I grew up with. And by the time I was, they were taking me to artist studios on top of the galleries and, and, and museums. And we walked out of a, of Ed Neiman, and I can't find him now on the web, but we walked out of his studio, which was in Bayside, Queens, and I looked at my parents and said, that's me. And they said, what? <laughs> and I said, that's me. I'm an artist. And my mother smiled from ear to ear because she loved that, and she'd been asked to be in Martha Graham's dance troupe years, many years before, and my father turned white as a sheet and said, oh, no, which didn't set me up for a really good uh, career path, but what the hell. So that's that. And then I, that it was my saving, you know, I hated high school. I sat there and I drew all day long, stared out the window, went to NYU up in the Bronx to avoid the draft for Vietnam, drove a cab, 1970, a lot of stories there. Uh, and then one day just said, no, and I'm an artist, and I went off to the Boston Museum School in 1972. And uh, I applied, and they said, no, but you can come to summer school. So I went to summer school, and I applied, and they said, no. And they said, but you can come to night school. And I went to night school. And according to a, a friend of mine at the time who was on the portfolio committee, that time they didn't open it. They just said, he's not going to stop. <laughs> so that was how I started. I had an amazing mentor and Jan Cox. He's a, a, a minor figure in the Cobra school. And I was his teaching assistant and his friend. And his, we had a great time. And I, uh, he, he moved back to Belgium and he came back. And I said, what's Belgium like? And he said, 
what's Antwerp like? He said, oh, they're crazy there. And I was like, oh, so you think I'd like it? He said, oh, they're really crazy. So I booked myself a, a berth on the S. Lermontov, one of two Soviet-era cruise ships. And I took a 14-day cruise across the Atlantic and went to painting the cradle of oil painting. And that's pretty much the beginning, is that uh, you got another is question? That, is that, is, yeah, is that where you began to, because I know in New York you were also making your own paint. Is that where that started? In, in, in the, well, actually, in in the museum school, I picked the museum school because back in the day, I mean, I was a, I had trouble with life. So this was the, I, I looked up the top five art schools in the country in 1971, 72, and the museum school had no requirements and no tests. So that's where I went. But one thing they had was they had a great technical classes. And one of the classes I took among others was, uh, I guess, Renaissance painting methods where my particular thing that I did was tried to gesso a panel with classic gesso made from the recipe without a pinhole. I spent the entire semester trying to do that. Never got it without a pinhole. But I learned a lot about classical painting techniques. And I, at the time, I did a lot of, I always got the best. Linen, lead white, things like that. And I have an incredible affinity for also all kinds of things, including the sciences and alchemy. And, uh, you know, I, I, you had Anne McCoy on one of your uh, talks. And, you know, I so identify with that. And um, I started, I just was, and in those days, I was just a Soho character. Uh, I was Space Baby. One of my best friends was Samo. We went around tagging at night. Uh, I was painting. I was doing hand-painted clothing. I was, uh, in fact, I met somebody 30 years later. I said, do you remember Space Baby? And she said, absolutely. And I was like, get out of here. That's me. <laughs> so, 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 so at that there was time that. in New York, uh, uh, Samo was, um, of course, Jean-Michel Basquiat. That was part of this, uh, the crowd or the neighborhood that you were in? Yeah, that's, and I ran with all those guys. I don't know if any of them remember me. My, my uh, the woman I lived with was named Pseudo Carol, and she was in a punk band called The Rentals, played CBGBs and around, and she played in band pickup bands with uh, George Kondo and Robert Longo. Not same, same, I didn't play any music. Uh, but um, so I was in that crowd, and I, I ran with it, and I had a rubber stamp that said, so what? And, and uh, Samo would go down the the subway car writing his pithy statements and I would go down and it would say, there would be ads and it would say, uh, Ben keeps you dry all day and bang. So what? So those were the things that we were doing. I was doing, uh, Jamie canvas was the art supply store on, on spring street, the only store for miles around. And they got a color Xerox, uh, machine. And there was a, I call it, it was a bunch of people. Many of the names I don't remember because of, you know, my own history, but you know, it, I, I think of us as the Jamie canvas gang. I have a whole book of color Xerox art made by moving things and manipulating things. And actually at one point I, I have a piece in the Basquiat collection and 
I would have had a Basquiat as well, but the when I moved out of my loft in Greenpoint, they threw out all my artwork, including my Basquiat color Xerox. We cross-signed them to each other. But, you know, that was the day. It was great. Um, you know, Mud Club. And, and, then, and, and then you were also you were also painting at that point. I mean, you were working in different mediums when you were in New York. I was here. painting in oils. I was an oil painter. I was always an oil painter. And I have paintings that go back to 1972 on my website. And, and the paintings the, were, were were figurative initially, right? You were doing figurative. figurative I, I was I was one of the very I was in the formative neo expressionist gang, uh, and I was doing a very expressive uh, representational work. Um, after you know, I, as I mentioned, I drove a cab briefly in 1970, and then from 1979 to 84, I drove a yellow. Cab on the night shift, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., six days a week, managed to keep painting, and I would take a, um, and I would go out and I would literally paint and draw uh, watercolors on the bench seat of the checker while I was driving. I was a danger to life and limb for everybody, and I had some interesting experiences. You know, I, I still rue the day that uh, Robert Miller said, Wow, look at that. Bring your work to the gallery. And I went immediately to Barnabas Rex, got hammered, and never showed up. And, you know, to this day, it literally pains me deeply. And uh, Cookie Muller uh, wrote me up in Details Magazine in 1982. She, she opened her Art and About article with me and then talked about, I guess it's now Jamie Nairs. Uh, used to be James Nairs, now Jamie Nairs, and was the second, and then the the, ne- the paragraph after that was uh, Basquiat. So uh, if nothing else, he may sell for $100 million, but I was listed in <laughs> in Cookie's article first because I'm such a mature guy. <laughs> that's a great story. And and so then you moved to Florida. That's where I'm talking to you oh, now. Oh, God, and- no. long story. The- Brainerd, I didn't move to Florida until 2015. I went from uh, the... 80s. I had I'd already gone to Antwerp, lived there for over a year, painted there, uh, learned Flemish. Didn't let them know for months so I could listen to them say terrible things about me, which they did because it was the early mid 70s and Americans were loved so dearly that anyone who went backpacking in Europe sewed a Canadian maple leaf to the back of their backpack. And so that was a little challenging. It was great. And then in 84, so I came back, I was in Soho. And then after driving a cab for five years, doing the views from a yellow cab, uh, group of paintings, which I have on my website, there's a one section that's recent paintings, which is just a smatter of the recent, recent work smattering. And then there's a section called, it's a drop down called collections and it's death, war, formation, and there's abuse from a yellow cab section. There's paintings there, which are the things I saw while I drove a cab at night and painted. And that was 80. And then uh, I have a long white light story about getting sober because I was a terrible alcoholic, just terrible. You know, I, I sometimes say the different, what I was blessed not to get Jean-Michel's notoriety because I would be laying right next to him wherever he is. I was 
I, I didn't do anything partway. I still don't, but uh, I haven't had it. I haven't had a drink or a, anything in 37 years, which I'm happy about. And honestly, Brainerd, so are you and everybody who ever met me. <laughs> they just don't know how happy they are. And uh, so I went, I moved into a huge, beautiful loft in Greenpoint. Well, it wasn't beautiful, actually. It was a, an industrial space. It had been a factory for so long that you had to put on uh, slippers or anything to walk around the floor. The floor was soaked full of industrial uh, oil and grease. Uh, over the five years I lived there, I didn't ever paint the walls, but the oil traveled by capillary action two feet high on the drywall that we had put up to differentiate. There were three of us with about 1,600 square feet each on a 200,000 square foot floor. We used to skate around and ride bicycles around on the floor. And I painted there. I had an incredible view of New York from the Williamsburg Bridge to the Triborough Bridge, six by nine foot windows. And actually one day I woke up and one of those windows was hanging diagonally and it was 30 degrees inside. That was another You were working there, uh, painting, you were making oil paintings there. I was. Okay. And then, yeah. And, but in 1986, I had a white light experience that was incredible and earth shaking. And it desire it removed the desire to have any alcohol or drugs in my body whatsoever. Uh, and what was wild was I never had the DTs and I was drinking like two quarts of booze a day and I was painting and I have, you know, a photo of me in a checkered bathrobe standing in front of one of the taxi paintings in the loft. And, uh, in 1988, I realized I didn't know how to paint sober. I came to a grinding halt. I was struggling with it and I let it go and I, turned my uh, creative attention to the brand new field. About 1984, 85, I started doing uh, computer-based work. And uh, it was so early that the name of my first company was Jonathan Herbert Computer Illustration, that nobody had ever said that before, Computer Illustration. And I did that. I eventually ended up doing high-end 3D illustration animation, mainly uh, pharmaceutical advertising, but the work is absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to get it up on the web soon in my painting site. You know, I'm not, I don't believe illustration and fine art really have much difference. I used to tell people, you know, back in the days of uh, Rembrandt and all the early painters, you painted what the patron and you worked out to paint. You know, you even agreed on how much ultramarine blue and vermilion. So the fact that somebody came to me and said, would you paint me the HIV life cycle? Uh, to me, didn't make it anything other than an interesting creative project. And I did that. I became probably one of the top, most well-known pharmaceutical advertising illustrators on the planet. I did that through the 90s. And then my agent retired about the same time that my wife said, you'll never be happy if you don't paint. And the poor woman thought I would become a Sunday painter. And instead I just dropped everything and threw myself in, back into my studio practice. And I was quickly got an art. I was painting on plan, on plein air. Uh, my wife wouldn't let me bring anything into the house. And one day I woke up and somebody had stole 
$8,000 worth of painting equipment, including about $5,000, $6,000 worth of brushes. That was a little devastating. Um, and then I got a studio in Dumbo, and that was the best. Uh, I, I sublet from a guy named, uh, oh, God, what was his name? Giddy Saboni. He was actually in the Whitney Biennial in 2002. And my one of my studio mates was, Kat Balco, who is, I think she's a professor. And when we started going our ways, she went to Yale, got an MFA. She's a professor up there. She does beautiful work. And so we were, we actually went into each other's studios and both of us like, Oh, thank God. And like, we looked at each other. Isn't it great not to have to say interesting? (laughs) We really (laughs) liked each other's work. And, uh, and then, so I painted on in 68, J Street in Dumbo from 2002 to 2015, and it was heaven. I eventually ended up for many years with a, a studio on the eighth floor, north northeast light, and a whole view of the river till they put the condo in front of me. And I went through. I, when I went back to painting, I I did uh, landscape, and I only did landscape, and I didn't want to have anything to do with people or buildings. If I saw one, I left it out, and there was nothing but nature in my paintings, and they were all, a lot of them were done on uh, plein air, and a lot were done, I would go out, I would take photographs, I would print them large, I would put them across the studio, and I would put a big fan blowing on me to try to get me back in outdoors to paint. You know, somebody said, you paint from photographs? I said, anybody can, the trick is just don't paint the photograph. You know, it's just a reminder. So let's so, talk about your paintings now. You so saw some of the work now, um, which, which of course, comes from then. Um, recent works are, are pretty large, 60 by 40, and, you know, they're, they're gorgeous work. There's, there's one I was looking at recently. It's a recent work of yours called Rose, and you call yeah. it alchemical acrylic and urethane. Can you tell me what you mean by um, alchemical acrylic? Absolutely. So the bottom line is I got to – I got – I got to uh, Sarasota. My, my Amy, who is my partner in life, wanted to move to Sarasota to live near her sister. Personally, uh, I, I am not enamored of this state, but as I said to somebody the other day who gave me some crap about it, I said, I'd rather live in hell with Amy than in heaven alone. So I, we moved down here, and when I got here, I couldn't find a studio assistant. When I, had left, when I left Manhattan, I'd been doing these paintings and I had, was using Robert Doak paints and the studio and paints ground in the studio. So I had already moved into this whole amazing process, uh, materials fascination, though the first of them paintings I did with that were the 22 major arcana of the, of the uh, tarot at five feet high and three and a half feet wide in, in like practically sculptural uh, oil paint, you know, so thick. I said, well, you know, either, uh, either they're going to throw all this out one day or it's going to be worth a conservative figure out how to keep it on the canvas. I mean, I know how to paint and I know how to build it. And I, but I put everything into it. You know, those, the canvases were $550 each, $11,000 to get the substrate before I painted. And I was doing that and I had come across a book. I don't know where I came across it, but it was called, it's my favorite book on what painting is. And Brainerd, it's called What Painting Is. It's by James Elkins, who's one of my favorite art writers. 
He is not an art historian particularly. He wrote this book, What Painting Is, and the basic uh, premise of it is, is that being an oil painter in a studio and being an alchemist in a laboratory back in the day are basically the same. You go into this noxious room and you fill it with fumes and you mess with poisons and you mix things together and you're really experimenting with substances. And what's this going to do? And one of my buddies, I used to play squash at the, at, at the printing house with a bunch of other people and artists, both. And uh, one of my friends said, yeah, you know, you go into the studio and you mix up exactly this much oil and this much of that color and this much of that paint and you mix it together and it's perfect. You come in the next day, you mix the exact same thing. It does nothing like it did yesterday. So, you know, there's this alchemical exploratory quality that makes my work became incredibly process oriented. And I moved down here and I couldn't find an assistant. I put ads in Craigslist at the Ringling College of Art and Design, which is a very good art school, though they're heavily focused now on electronics and less so on paint. And I tried and I tried and it really broke me, my heart because I wanted to do oils because I love oil painting. But when I was, but by the time I had left Brooklyn, I would call uh, Chris, my assistant, uh, Chris Buckley, Tim Buckley. Tim Buckley was my assistant. And I would call him. I'd say, Tim, I'm going to hit the gym. I'll be in around one. Give me 40, take all five paintings of the, series we're working on at the end was the formation series which is on my website and pull five that we're going to work on today and mix up 40 uh lumps of paint on the on the big glass palette it would be covered because they were all the size of a large fist and he and some days i would do things like and give me a a yellow that the hue is the same but it's cool neutral and warm this guy could do that and he could even do stuff like I would use up the, the fist-sized lump of paint, and I'd say, need more. And I'd turn back to the palette again. It would be exactly the same. I don't know how he did it. The guy was amazing. I think the world of him. Anyway, so that's what was going on. But when I found him, I put an ad in Craigslist one night. It just said, painter in those days, was, I think 40 years experience, seeks a studio assistant in Dumbo. And the next day, I had 300 cover letters and resumes, 300 in my inbox. I mean, the first thing I did was I went through and I threw away everything that didn't spell my name right, had typos, had bad grammar, not because that's what they needed to do, but I had to figure out a way to weed through it, you know? I got down here, I put an ad in, it was crickets for six months, I never found anybody, and I was like, I can't do oils. It's a 12-hour commitment, and by that point, I was like... Uh, maybe 57, 54, something like that. I was in my 50s. Later 50. How long ago? Eight. I was in my 60s. I was like 62 or three. And I just didn't have 12 hours of, three hours of setup, 12, six hours of painting and three hours of cleanup in me. And I said, well, let me go to acrylics. And I started buying uh, Liquitex or Golden. And I'm sure that they work for many people. I hated them. I hated them and I didn't know how to manipulate them. And I'm a guy who's coming from literally the alchemy of a laboratory going to these, you know, manipulated tubes of paint 
you know, let's face it, 95% of art supplies are sold to amateurs and not to professionals. So they don't think a lot about us. And somebody said, hey, what about Guerra? And I'd heard about them and I'd forgotten. So I went to Guerra Paint and Pigment and I fell in love and I found my, my passion here. And the reason I call it alchemical acrylic and urethane is I use, I go to Guerra and I buy the components. I get a five-gallon drum of acrylic. I get a gallon of silica flat acrylic. I get five gallons of urethane 40, which is specially formulated never to yellow for artists. And a year ago, it was only $640 for five gallons. Now it's $804 plus shipping for five gallons, and I need another five. I was going through one, two, three gallons a month. And what I do is, and I have pigment dispersions, and I have, you know, classic pigments, cobalt blue. I have dyes. I have pigments that are in the automotive industry. I use interference pigments. So if you're walking past the painting, the paint the paint will shift from uh, green to lavender. Let's say that. And uh, anybody who is into the arts and on Instagram. Aquera Paint is an incredible resource. I adore them because I go into I now the thing is is not only is it alchemical because I'm experimenting with substances. I know them pretty darn well by now, and I have a good idea of what I want to happen. And I literally make the paint as I'm making a painting, and I usually I have uh, go to Gordon Food Service to get all of my these cheap. Containers and I get a quart container. I make a, a quart full of, let's say, I make put in urethane, I put in tetrachloro, periwinkle, my, one of my favorite blues. I put in some ground glass, uh, maybe some silver glitter. Amy says, don't call it glitter, it's cheap. Use it, metallic inclusions. So I put my metallic inclusions in there and I mix it up and I use it on painting and if I haven't used it all I use it on another couple of paintings or I leave it aside and use it later but the bottom line is when that quart is gone it's gone I use no recipes I take no I make no records and I've been doing this a long time Amy once summed it up she said she heard me say it back when we were in Brooklyn somebody came in and they were looking at the tarot cards because those are really quite impressive and they said how the heck does he do this he said oh he just comes into the studio he walks up to the easel and gets out of the way but really at this point Brainerd I take dictation from the universe I am a I believe deeply in something that is that the the word God has no it's like are you kidding it's infinite. So how can we think about it or talk about it as human beings? But I have the connection. If I didn't want to, I just think back to July 25th, 1986, when I was in the middle of a suicide because I realized that there was, I knew there was no life without drinking. And I knew my drinking days were over. I thought the only thing I could do was die. And I got into on, up on the windowsill and this, the loft lit up and this huge voice said, uh, you could do this instead. And I did that, and I never had DTs. I never wanted to drink again. But I don't know how I rambled off there because the chemo brain and the traumatic brain injuries are a joy. So ask another question. Did, am I approaching any of 
your answer. No, it's been, it's, it's been great talking about you. Yeah, you just kind of broke down the, the kind of question about alchemical pain. That was really good. The, there, there is no more questions. It was great talking to you about this. I, I, there's links here so people can look at your images. There's images here, and, and your Instagram is here as well, which we've discussed. It's been great talking about your process and your trajectory. I, I really just want to thank you, John, and thanks for spending time with me today and, and making these paintings. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you and your work. And I thank you again. It's been a joy. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.